Welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast. This is the weekly show where we talk about all things money and finances and where we furnish you with information so that you can make the best financial decisions possible. So if you want to be better with money, you want to purchase your first home, you want to learn about investing, where to begin, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Peter Komalafe. I'm so thrilled to have you here. So without further delay, let's get into this week's show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Conversation on Money podcast. It's Pete here. Hope you guys have had an amazing weekend. We've had really good weather recently, so I'm sure that has helped people with the easing of the lockdown. Uh, it's Monday again, and I'm joined by another guest on the podcast, one that's joining me from across the pond, not in the States this time, but actually from Canada. And her story is actually quite amazing. I was very, very impressed the first time we had a conversation and she reached out to me to come on the show. And I think in the conversation that we're going to have today, there will be a lot of takeaway points, particularly if you are interested in investing in the market, creating wealth, and you want to learn about what it means and what it takes to create wealth. Her name is Sandy Young. Um, she's an author. Um, she recently wrote a book, um, Money Master, and it's all about the inside secrets on how to make your money grow and stay safe. She has had an interesting journey. I'm going to let her explain this. But let's just put it this way. She is an avid real estate investor. And by the age of 27, she managed to amass a six-figure investment portfolio. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Thank you, Peter, for having me. I'm so excited to be able to share some of my experience with your audience. No, I'm glad that you're actually here. So let's kick off and just, just tell me about you. Tell me about your background, because I think your story is quite amazing. Sure, I'd love to. So uh, for those of you uh, who may not know me, I am from Toronto, Canada, and I went to business school and university, and I was quite fortunate to graduate during the 2008-2009 economic recession. Um, and uh, you know, now that we're going through this pandemic, there's, there's a little bit of deja vu there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was fortunate to land a full-time job within the hospitality and tourism industry. And I planned conferences and had a modest salary. But um, I quickly knew that I wanted to be able to have a nice lifestyle, whether it would be being able to afford my own house, have a new, have a car, uh, have my dream wedding, and then, you know, starting a family and eventually retire and to be able to go on vacations here and there. Mm -hmm. And so I, like most people, went to one of the big banks and unbeknownst to me, I purchased high risk and high fee mutual funds that were not diverse at all. And um, for the first little while, I was it looked like my portfolio was growing. But then a couple months later, I ended up uh, losing thousands of dollars. And being in my early 20s, I was quite upset and frustrated. I'm like, you know, this not is what that. I'm supposed to do. Like, mm -hmm. wh why is it not um, turning out to what I thought it would be? And so that's where I decided to take matters into my own hands and become educated, do my own research. And I became a self-directed investor. And so I took a lot of time to be able to learn the basics of how to invest in the stock market and also um, in real estate with my husband to be able to have um, 
rental properties and have that also as a long-term investment. And so I really feel that it's important to be able to um, help others, especially in our generation, to be able to build uh, well through multiple streams of income. Mm. So when you did, when you started out and the investments didn't perform well, that that was during 2007, 2008? Uh, just a, shortly after graduation. So okay. I did focus on paying off my student loans right away. And then from there, like after I tackled that student debt, um, I was able to set aside savings from every paycheck. And then when I ha- had amassed a decent amount of money to start investing, um, that's where like, you know, most people, I just went to one of the big banks and I thought I would be able to trust them. But, um, you know, you just have to kind of go in armed with knowledge and information so that you're able to control a conversation. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I don't know what the land kind of lays like over in Canada, but in the UK, certainly after 2007, 2008, the banks don't really provide financial advice anymore. Um, and I find for many people who want to begin investing in the markets, they don't have that initial focal point that they can actually go to. I guess from your point of view, after you've experienced the the loss in, in the funds and the performance of the investments, you've taken it upon yourself to learn this stuff. Did you find that it was a very steep learning curve or did it was it easy to understand to, to begin with? It uh, definitely took some time to read a variety of books and blogs. Um, and I think that, um, you know, through the course of time, I was able to see what the common advice was. And based on a lot of investing books out there, you know, they recommend having a diversified portfolio, mm-hmm. think focusing on the long term mm-hmm. um, with a passive approach and um, making sure that you look at your fees to make to see that you're not overpaying for something um, when you can get it at a better rate. And um, yeah, I just took the steps step by step uh, to be able to, you know, go from mutual funds over to uh, exchange traded funds or even mm-hmm. index funds, um, and just being able to also control my emotions because mm. when it comes to investing, especially uh, recently with the stock market going into a bear market or recession, a lot of people have panicked, and and it's really important to know yourself and to see what your comfort level is when the markets go down, um, you know, in negative double digits. And and when I was first starting out, I didn't know what to do. Of course, I panicked and sold. Um, But now I know much better. And I know that I have to think about, okay, well, I don't need this money for decades. And so you have to think about it almost like climbing a staircase. Like maybe right now we've kind of gone a few steps back, Mm -hmm. but the end goal is that you're going to make it to the top of the staircase and just to to have that focus there and not get distracted by the everyday noise. Yeah. So you mentioned that you kind of take a long-term view there. That isn't a common sentiment I find these days. Um, And when we were speaking sort of last week, we talked about the fact that a lot of the time these things need to be rooted in goals and objectives. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yes, I can definitely relate because when I've talked to uh, friends and colleagues, my peers, a lot of them are really eager to do more active trading, to to find the latest stock, mm-hmm. um, even 
you know, in recent years, whether it's investing in cannabis or cryptocurrency, like that was all of the news and media. Um, and people would kind of look at you funny if you weren't invested in those, <laughs> in those type of things. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, you, you were, people were able to make a quick buck and, and, you know, amass quite a bit of fortune. But then there's also the other side of it where, because it was so volatile and such high risk, a lot of people lost, um, you know, if not like the significant amount of money, if not their life savings. And so mm-hmm. it's almost like, to me, it just seems like a speculation or even like gambling, but in the stock market. And mm-hmm. so that's not something I recommend or something I do. Um, but I mean, I'm sure there are people who do quite enjoy that and they kind of want that thrill. But um, I always, you know, recommend more of a safer um, approach where you can still sleep at night and not have to worry whether you're going to lose all of your life savings. Yeah. Do you, do you think that the, the desire or the appeal of constantly trading and picking a stock and getting into crypto and trading on, you know, foreign exchange and crypto is a byproduct of what we're seeing across social media and some of the aspirational lifestyle content that is out there that it speaks directly to. Because I think people often relate that kind of stuff to, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street and and that kind of like uh, environment. Do you think social media has a, has a part to play in this? Yeah, I'm sure it does. I mean, especially with our millennial or Gen X demographic being on social media and, and there's, you know, out there in the news, there's just so much click bait type articles <laughs> that it's really, sometimes it can be really hard to differentiate between facts and opinions or yeah. like, or just, yeah, someone's trying to sensationalize certain stocks and the things like the top five stocks that you have to buy now. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, of course, those are definitely newsworthy and and it's easy to kind of get sucked into that kind of area. But um, as you mentioned before, like it's it's really important for people to think about what their financial goals are, um, you know, in different aspects of their life, like the, you know, material things to maybe some of the skills they want to learn, um, whether they want to be able to travel um, and own pets or further the education, all those different things come with some kind of cost. And it's important to take the time to reflect, okay, well, what kind of lifestyle do you want in the short term, medium term or long term and figure out how much those things uh, will cost so that you can work towards saving and eventually investing uh, to reach your goals faster. Yeah. And I would definitely agree on that sentiment there. I speak to a lot of um, young people who want to invest in the market. And a lot of them are saying, well, I want a passive income. I I want, and I'm like, okay, but what's the reason behind wanting a, a passive income and how much do you need? Because if you, if you know the answer to those two questions, the conversation becomes very, very different. And certainly for young people, there's an argument of saying, well, actually, if you don't need the income, if you're working already at this point in time, depending on how much you're investing, actually capital growth may be an objective for you but it's understanding what your goal and your objective is in the first place yes it's so true i mean um 
oftentimes I'll get the question like, oh, Sandy, what do you invest in? Like, and, mm-hmm. and like, oh, where should I put $1,000 into the stock market? But uh, without having the understanding of what goals you're trying to achieve, like how much, um, you know, growth you need like year after year uh, to also comprehending how much risk you're willing to take, like, are you more of a conservative person, um, maybe more like kind of medium uh, risk, or maybe some you're an individual who can tolerate a crazy roller coaster ride, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and sometimes you may not know until you kind of dabble into the, the stock market. But um, if you are kind of the individual who is interested in stock picking, then I would say that there, you know, there is room for that in a portfolio, but probably maybe a small percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to kind of start out and what we call like fun money or play money yeah. um, and where you can experiment, but like, don't take like a hundred percent of your portfolio, maybe take like 5% or like a couple hundred dollars and see how well you do. And then see how you react to the stock market when it fluctuates. Yeah. So I know that you have a really um, interesting take on um, three pillars to creating wealth. And I it resonates with me massively. So tell me about how you position that because it's in your book as well. Um, so position that with me on how that comes across or how you would explain that to a first-time investor. Sure. Yeah. So... In my book, I do cover the probably the three most popular ways to invest and to create wealth. And as you mentioned, there's the uh, investing in the stock market, uh, real estate, and also starting your own business. Because um, nowadays, like in our society, the living costs most likely, you know, they tend to uh, increase year after year, even mm-hmm. with inflation. And so... Um, Sometimes having one income, whether it's your full-time job, uh, may not be enough to live on. And even if it is, it's important to have a safety net or like a backup plan because if you have just one source of income from your employer, let's say, and um, you experience a job loss or even layoffs that we've seen a lot in the news Mm -hmm. lately, then you're putting yourself into a position where... um, you know, you might be strapped for cash. And and in Canada, um, you know, statistics show that half the population are living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. Not sure what it's like in the UK, but um, the statistics are quite startling. And I think even like over half of Canadians, like they only have $1,000 in their bank account. And it's those statistics that really um, kind of, uh, uh, I guess the... Uh, really speak to me. And that's why I have such a big passion in terms of educating um, millennials on financial literacy, because Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so much of a need for that and to really inspire um, them to look into ways to create wealth other than say their full-time income. And so, uh, you know, investing in the stock market is great because usually it's a low barrier of entry. You don't really need that much capital and there's different ways to go about it, it, whether it's through DIY or through a robo-advisor or even going with a financial advisor. So there's many options to start and create your own portfolio. Um, Then when it comes to real estate investing, it it does require more 
uh, higher capital, you know, to set aside some savings and really knowing your real estate market. But it's also a great long-term investment because your tenant can help you pay down your mortgage. And once you're mortgage-free, then you have that income coming in as well. But I would say that with real estate investing, there definitely is, um, I guess, a longer learning curve because as a landlord, you have a whole ton of responsibilities. And um, whether you want to hire property manager or not, that's also a big decision. And you need to have a team of experts uh, who can help like, work with you um, even when when it comes to your real estate purchases, you probably want to go with real estate agent or mortgage broker. So there's a lot of factors that come into play, but there's definitely um, a lot of profit to be made there. And um, lastly, with entrepreneurship, I think that a lot of people have a passion outside of their full-time job. And Mm -hmm. I think that we should really encourage um, people to really explore those passions, whether they have some kind of um, you know, skill or talent in arts or graphic design, you know, freelance work, um, you know, or having a blog. There, there's so many opportunities out there and and it's, you know, a great way just to earn additional income that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree with you on the, um, the stats. So your stats aren't too dissimilar to the ones here in the UK. Um, as of last year, when they did uh, a bit of a, a bit of a piece of research, one in five adults in the UK have less than a hundred pounds in savings. So that's a big proportion of the population. So when we talk about the, the need to invest in the markets and to create wealth, I wouldn't say we're starting from a low base, but there's work to be done in terms of laying that foundational piece to enable people to get to the point where they can uh, take that step and invest in the market and, you know, real estate and, and building a business. And I think you're right. A lot of people have got something that they're really, really good at, that they're really, really passionate about. That could be something that they start in their house. And let's face it, times like these are actually the best times to actually start off on a venture of your own um, in terms of businesses. So true. And especially for those who have been unfortunately laid off or or temporarily laid off, I think that this is a great opportunity if you have extra time on your hands to explore some of the maybe passion projects that you've put on the back burner Mm -hmm. and really see like what your true potential is and to turn your, your passion into profit and so, and be able to provide new solutions to other people's problems. So yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, a great way to be able to support yourself and to have multiple streams of income. And so that way you can reach your financial goals faster as well. As a, as a self-invested kind of person, one big question that I get all of the time is how do I go about diversifying my investments? I wonder if you can just share your experience of what you've done to kind of diversify your portfolio uh, over the years. Right. So uh, first off, when it comes to investing in the stock market with the, with that type of portfolio, generally um, it's important to diversify globally. So people tend to have a home country bias, meaning that wherever they grew up, um, whichever country they grew up in, they tend to invest in that country. Mm-hmm. But then globally speaking, there's so much, you know, new um, 
technology, new developments and companies that are happening in many other countries other than your own backyard. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's important to think more globally than locally and to invest in um, you know, different industries and not just one type of industry. That's important. Uh, also, um, bigger, like large companies tend to be more stable or like say the S&P 500 that tracks uh, the 500 largest companies. Mm-hmm. So um, that's also a, a more of a safe way to invest. Um, and then when it comes to real estate investing, I mean, there's different approaches to this. I mean, some people, they like to be a landlord and rent to tenants. Uh, for others, they may want to flip houses, like do some renovations and yeah, resell sure. it. Uh, or you can be an Airbnb host, probably not so much right now, but mm-hmm. Airbnb has been around for quite some time for, for people to do more short-term rentals or being a real estate agent, right? So there's definitely different ways to invest in real estate. and uh, But generally speaking, I think there's always golden nuggets of opportunity in and around like the city or maybe the area around where you live. Um, And so that's something that my husband and I do where we uh, have several condo properties and we rent it out to uh, tenants and they're relatively, uh, you know, within driving distance from Mm -hmm. us. So that, that way, if they encounter some kind of problem, within the unit, we're able to go and, and investigate and take care of it. How has that journey been for you starting out getting properties and identifying properties? Because that's one of the big things, certainly here in the UK, it's always trying to understand number one, the location that you want to buy in and understanding how you build a portfolio to a point that becomes Mm -hmm. self-sustaining in a way in terms of the rental properties. But the opportunity to get into the market and identifying that. How have you found that learning curve? Yeah, so it's that that's something that um, you know I really picked up on when I met my husband because he was in, really into real estate investing, and so uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to um, learn some things through him and like through experience. And so mm-hmm. um, right now we have two active. Um, condo units that we rent out. So I take care of one of the condos and he takes care of the other. So we kind of split the responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, over time I've learned how to screen tenants. Like when we're looking for new tenants, um, when it comes to like how we're going to advertise and screen them to make sure we go through the standard check process to make mm-hmm. sure that they they have good credit scores, they're employed, um, you know, they're able to uh, pay their rent on time and just to get a feel for how they are. Like we want to make sure that we have ideally long-term tenants um, that are very loyal and also that we take good care of them. Uh, then... We've also come into, you know, a couple of things where like the stove broke down or the the washer and dryer broke down and then we would try to find replacement parts. But if we weren't able to do that, then we'd have to purchase a brand new, um, Mm -hmm. you know, brand new machine. And so like being able to coordinate and figure out what the dimensions are to make sure that those appliances fit into the unit because being in a condo, you have space limitations as well. Uh, And then 
Uh, even working with a property manager, because at one point we were so busy that we didn't really want to spend the time driving down to the unit and then investigating and then kind of traveling back and forth. Yeah, It was a bit of a burden. So um, at one point we had hired a property manager for a year, but based on that experience, uh, it wasn't the best. Uh, not to say that you know, I mean, this is just our personal experience. Mm. Uh, but of course, you know, it really depends on like who you end up working with. But with ours, they had, you know, hundreds of units that they had to look after. So they weren't exactly proactive in terms of resolving problems in a timely manner. So then, you know, after the year ended, we decided to kind of take back um, our responsibilities and work directly with our tenants. But of course, that just added more work onto our plates. But yeah, I think it just takes time. Like, like gradually you kind of build that experience and um, and also just looking to experts for advice. And we were fortunate to have really good, a really good real estate agent that's very knowledgeable and and can give us the history of a certain neighborhood or comparables and advise us on what the potential is mm-hmm. of our investment too. Do you find it's time consuming? not just managing obviously the property um, portfolio that you'd now have, but also the investment side of things as well. How demanded do you, have you found that? So if we were to compare my stock market portfolio versus the real estate portfolio, I would say that the real estate portfolio definitely takes more time mm-hmm. just because there's so many variables um, and just problems that can occur uh, on a whim and you may not know what to do, but you somehow have to figure it <laughs> out. And like one time our, our, our tenant said that there was a flood in the unit. And so that was, that was, um, you know, probably one of the scarier situations. And we had to you know have the work with the building um, management to have fans to make sure to air out all the moisture and humidity. And then yeah. we had to hire a contractor to inspect the floorboards and, and everything. So um, I think it, it really fluctuates too, because it also depends on the age and how well the, the condos are maintained. Mm-hmm. Um, so lately hasn't been too bad. Um, lately because of the pandemic, it's more so ensuring that our tenants are able to pay their rent on time. And yeah, if sure. they can't, then we also need to make sure that we have a savings fund to be able to pay our mortgage, right? Because yeah. no one's yeah. going to no one's going to lend us a helping hand. Yeah. So um, there's also that. But when it comes to stock market, I would say like I monitor on a monthly basis, but uh, with a passive approach, I don't really make that many trades. Like I may rebalance semi-annually mm-hmm. uh, just to make sure that my diversification asset allocation is still in place. Um, yeah, the stock market is more so like you want to be as hands-off as possible because when it comes to like tinkering around, you, you can totally make your plan uh, go sideways. So I try not to dabble in it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of the stuff that you mentioned there speaks to some of the real basic um, fundamentals around personal finance in the fact that even though you have an investment portfolio, you've got property portfolio, there are still some basics that still ring true. Managing money, having an emergency fund, all those basic things. 
how important has that been uh, over the years to your journey to where you are right now? Yeah, I, I would say that it's definitely been, um, you know, it's almost like your foundation, right? Like if we think about building a house, like you need to have a solid foundation mm-hmm. and having that, um, you know, laying the groundwork and, and, and for those people who are interested in investing, I would say, like, I would ask them, like, do you have the proper savings plan first? Because, um, you know, most important step is to have an emergency savings, especially in these uncertain times. Um, and typically, you know, the general advice is to have at least three to like nine months mm-hmm. worth of uh, savings. Um, you know, in uh, in terms of like calculate what your monthly expenses are, and then t- multiply that by say like six months. Um, then that that way you can figure out how much money you need to have in an emergency savings fund. And also you want to ensure that it's uh, easy to access um, like by your bank uh-huh. because you never know when you'll run into an emergency and you don't want to um, you know, be in a situation where your money is locked up. Uh-huh. Um, and then second of all, like you also want to figure out if you have any debt whether it's student loans, credit card debt, uh, mortgage, your car, things like that. And to see like how much debt you have, um, which ones have the highest, like highest interest versus like lower interest Mm -hmm. and figure out a plan on um, how you're going to pay off your debt. Um, And then once you kind of have that in check, you you know, it's, a, it's always great to automate your savings. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Be, because doing it manually, it's, you know, there's always that justification like, oh, I can do it next time or Absolutely. like next month. Yeah. I'll get around to it. I never <laughs> do. Yeah. Yeah. So like automating um, your savings is also a really great way to stick to your plan. So for instance, let's say um, from your employer, you get a paycheck bi-weekly on Friday, then you can go into your online banking account and set up an automated transfer where it goes from your checking account where you get paid and then transfer you know, X amount of dollars over to your savings account and then keep building. And it's quite encouraging. Like I find it gratifying when like every two weeks, my savings account keeps growing and growing. And, um, and also, it's good to have multiple savings account, not just one. Yeah. Um, and that's because when you figure out what your financial goals are, you can have a savings account for each one. So you can have yeah. a vacation savings account. Uh, maybe you need, um, I don't know, like a new cell phone or a new electronic gadget that you need save for uh, or um, yeah, or any other kind of savings that you'd probably need in the next couple months or a few years out. So that way you have it separated and then you're not tempted to kind of dip into like the other goals that you have. Yeah. The amount of times that I say to people that you need to have an emergency fund because that's really important. Like if you don't, you've got no safety net. So you're going back into overdrafts, using credit cards, that kind of stuff. And I often get People say, oh, but I want to invest. I'm going to invest my emergency fund. I'm like, that's not what it's there for. Your emergency fund is your emergency fund. Like like what you said, keep it accessible, easily accessible. Yeah, you're not getting it in the UK, at least. You're not going to get 
a lot of interest because the bank rate is so low. The interest rates are very, very low right now, pretty much non-existent. Mm-hmm, but that's your same. emergency money. Leave that alone. Your money to invest needs to come from somewhere else. So have those priorities and separate those two things out. And that's that's really, really important. But I often invite up people to just like, no, 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 I've got this money. I need to do something with it right now. <laughs> Yeah, I think with human psychology, it's very tempting to do mm-hmm. that, especially now, um, you know, where the stock market has been uh, down for a little while. And uh, yeah, I get it. Like, um, it's it's very tempting for some people who who see this as an opportunity to buy um, stocks at a discounted price. But you know, by doing that, like, if you were to take your emergency savings and invest it, uh, then you know, if you were to say, you know, God forbid, you know, you're, you know, you have to have your roof repaired or your car breaks down, or, you know, maybe uh, there's an illness in the family uh, or even a job loss, which a lot of people have experienced, then how are you going to pay your bills next Mm -hmm. month? You know, how are you going to make ends meet? And, um, you know, so it's important to really reflect and think about those worst case scenarios, even though it's a bit morbid and gloomy uh but those things do happen i mean they've been happening for the past few months for millions of people yeah so i think we're we're in a phase right now where it feels as though we don't want to think about the worst case scenario and i and there's an air of you need to be optimistic so on and so forth but i always say that you know whilst you need to be optimistic you also need to have a sense of realism particularly when it comes to the finances and really like stare it down the barrel and be like, okay, I'm not in a good situation. I need to do some things because it's very, very easy when it comes to personal finance, just bury your head in the sand and not look at something. And then you leave it for a couple of months. Then it comes home to roost and you're just like, I should have done something about it earlier. But I think often sometimes people just don't know what to do or they don't know how to approach it. They don't know how to tackle the problem. They don't necessarily want to ask how to go about um, tackling the situation as well. Yeah. Um, yes, that's so true. Um, and you know, whether it's whether you are single or maybe in a partnership, or if you have a family with young children, I would say that it it's uh, quite important to you know sit down with yourself or your spouse, significant other, to. Um, tackle this. Um, and it doesn't have to be a big ordeal. Like you can just break it down into small, easy steps. Um, you know, like how we mentioned, like looking at your financial situation uh, to, you know, figuring out what kind of, what income you're bringing in to figuring out your expenses and seeing like in, at the end of the month, like, are, do you have a surplus of income or, are you in debt and like overspending? Because mm. if you are, then then you really have to assess and see where you can reduce your expenses or find ways to boost your income, uh, and and all the other you know tips we've kind of mentioned earlier. Um, and I think that even when it comes to uh, being in a relationship, like sometimes, um, well, statistics show that. Um, you know, men tend to handle the financial, um, I guess, yeah, all the financial responsibilities in the household Mm -hmm. and women kind of just let their husbands take care of it. But I just wanted to mention that women tend to live longer than men. Mm -hmm. uh, And 
you know, when when their husbands pass on, they're kind of left in this situation where they need to scramble and figure out how yeah, to yeah. Um, take care of all the finances. And it can be very stressful, especially when you're mourning the loss of a loved one. And, you know, I say this now and, and maybe to some of the listeners they are like, oh, well, that's decades away. But I think that this is like the time now to really make those choices so that that way in your future, you're better prepared, especially for those people who have young children or planning to have, um, you know, to start a family. Like if you have dependents um, that really, you know, well, they depend on you, then Mm -hmm. you have to kind of look into your financial situation and make sure that you're protecting not only yourself, but your, your loved ones. Yeah, I agree 100%. There is certainly um, a bit of a focus here in the UK around trying to get women into, you know, financial being investing that whole financial sphere. There's a huge push here in the UK for that because I, I certainly remember I've worked with clients where the husband's passed away and the wife just has no idea. And then as a financial advisor, you're in the position where you have to say, right, there's this here, there's that here. But then there are other, if you've done a good job, you've done the, the power, powers of attorneys and you've done the wills and all those kind of things. But in a lot of cases, those don't exist. And it's an absolute mess. So you're right. It's really important for, for women to be empowered in that sphere of finance so that they can really take charge of, you know, finances and statistics or something like that, that women will run, um, will take over the household finances in, in the next few years. I think it was about 10 years or so. And that is important for empowerment in that regard. Yeah. And I know a lot of it can come from maybe not being confident or they feel like they're not educated as much as men. Um, and, you know, this is based on studies and research. Um, and so that, you know, this is where, you know, you and I are here and hopefully we're speaking to some of those individuals who um, feel like that could be their situation. And hopefully we're, we're helping to um, inspire them or plant a seed to to have those conversations with their spouse and um, and just to have equal partnership, right? Like in a marriage, I think that's important for for both sides to be able to have those discussions and and be transparent with each other and um, and be able to work as a team to ensure that they are prepared for you know um, middle middle life or even their golden years as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, because if you keep delaying it and sticking your head in the sand, like the situation's not going to go away. No, it's not. No, no. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely, I, I was looking at my stats for the podcast on Spotify specifically, maybe three, maybe four weeks ago. And I was actually quite surprised that the majority of listeners on Spotify to this podcast are actually women. So I think women are acutely aware that this is a thing that there's a, that they need to be aware of all these financial topics and have that education and have these conversations and actually get involved. And I think they're actively going out to seek that information themselves. And I think that's 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 a that's a beautiful thing because you need that. You know, we talk about equality all the time. It needs to be equality across the board, finances included. 
in, you know, I had a, a guest a few weeks ago, uh, Pauline, and we were talking about um, women in the workplace and the gender pay gap and how it's important for women to have the confidence to negotiate a fair salary on par with their male counterparts. And the more we have these kind of conversations, the more it's being brought to the forefront and the more people will start to take notice, I hope. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm so glad that uh, you do have the, um, you know, women listening to your podcast and, and hopefully, you know, taking notes and also taking action, right? Because yeah. it's one thing to have all the knowledge, but it's also um, another thing to apply all the things that you learned. So that's where I definitely emphasize with, um, you know, the the people that uh, also kind of follow what I do. And and I really stress the importance of applying all of the things that you learn and make, making them into good habits. Because once you kind of get the ball rolling, you'll gradually see like the progress that you can make and, and how much success that you can achieve and to build that confidence over time and to, to reach your financial goals. So what do you do um, on your sort of like day-to-day for the activity that you take in terms of the financial, the personal finance space, what do you do uh, on a daily basis with your, with your groups? Uh, sorry, with my groups? With your groups in terms of the people that you work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that like, I would say that from, in terms of like regular habits, it's good to be able to kind of monitor your um, savings goals, like at least from what I do, like I will log into my online banking account and I will check my, um, I'll check all of my accounts to make sure that like one, there's like no fraud or like suspicious charges. Um, also to take a look like at the end of the month, like, so my husband and I will, will meet together on a monthly basis and we'll go through all of the our mutual like our joint uh, expenses and to make sure that um, you know we're on track with our budget um, and uh, if we've overspent we'll kind of discuss like okay were these one-time things or like are we kind of like creeping up on a certain category uh, spending too much and then we'll kind of adjust to see like where we can maybe pare down some of our expenses uh, or see like if we have money that we didn't spend, how we can allocate that to further um, kind of fast track some of our savings goals. Uh, And yeah, just looking at your credit card bill, I think it's a really great exercise, like looking to see at the end of the month, like, um, you know, you can print out your credit card statement and then like highlight the items that you didn't necessarily need to buy. And mm-hmm. and I think for most people, it's a very eye-opening experience. It's yeah. like, oh, wow, like, did I really order that much takeout? Or like, did I really need to like, you know, spend money on all those clothes? Um, and, uh, and really kind of helps you reflect on what your lifestyle is. And is that something you want to maintain going forward? Do you find that, it's difficult for people to get into that habit because I think what you just described there is a habit. I do similar things where I have a look at, I know exactly what's going on in my bank account on any given day. I know how much money I have. I know how much money I've left over. I know what's going into a savings and investment. Do you find it's difficult for people to get into that habit of looking at their finances on a regular basis? I mean, probably like the first 
maybe few weeks, it might be a, a bit of a challenge, but I think that gradually, like when you are able to kind of analyze and digest what your spending habits are and like how you manage your money, you'll be able to learn so much more about yourself and to able to kind of tweak uh, your your habits and make some adjustments to hopefully improve your financial situation. And then after that, it becomes second nature. Mm. Like another exercise that um, I, I've been doing for years and I got my husband to do is um, I just uh, open up my Evernote app on my cell phone and whenever... Uh, I go out to a restaurant or store, anything that I'm buying, uh, right after I pay for it at the checkout counter, I'll open the app on my phone and like every month I have a note and I track down what the day that I made a purchase at what store and the amount and then maybe like some other description like what it is I bought. Mm. And then I have like a running total. Like even though you can kind of look at it, your credit card, I just like to have like write it down and that way I can see like at the end of the month, like, oh, wow, like I, you know, I spent like so much money on like home decor, or, like, yeah. you know, Uber Eats or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. I think it keeps it at the forefront of your mind as well. And it, it keeps you, it keeps you accountable to yourself more than anything else. And that's, if I look back over my, over my journey, I went through a phase where I also earned a load of money and I just, I spent money because, yeah, you know. I've got money coming in, so no regard for it whatsoever. It wasn't until I sort of, you know, started to look and think, well, what am I working all these hours for? And actually, what do I have to show for it? Not a lot. And mindset shifts around, well, what's the purpose of money? It's not there for me to just go and spend and, you know, line somebody else's pocket. I should be using this to actually build for the future to enable me to do the things that I want to do, go on holiday and, and so on and so forth. And it was definitely a mindset shift for me in terms of incubating and making sure that I sustained new habits to make my finances more healthier than they were before. Yeah, for sure. Like I can definitely relate and I'm probably, you know, majority of the people, um, especially like, yeah, my first, uh, you know, going through school and, um, you know, having part-time jobs. I was just spending everything I was mm-hmm. earning and not really having uh, a notion of like, what am I saving for? And so, um, but like, you know, I kind of had my wake up call and, and I was able to think more about the future and what kind of lifestyle I wanted to have. And, and so I, yeah, I definitely encourage, you know, those listening to think about like, what kind of future do you want? And, and, um, it also goes to like when you're asking about social media and like what kind of influence does it have on us? Like I would say that with social media, um, a lot of time there's that whole like comparison, um, I guess that goes along with social media. Like yeah. for me, like I would go through Instagram and I see my friends going on vacation and like uh-huh. have a new outfit <laughs> and like, of course, like, oh, yeah, I'd be jealous. Like I want to yeah. go where, where they're going and like have fancy dinners and 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 whatnot but then you kind of have to take a step back to think like okay well you know it, is their lifestyle really that maintainable or maybe they're not even saving for mm-hmm. for anything and like they're just kind of living in the moment and you know maybe that and that they they may have different priorities from you and so uh i think it's it's um a good reminder to people that 
uh, people have different priorities than you and you don't really know what their financial situation is. Yeah, I, I was literally just about to say that. You don't know what the big picture is. You know, with Instagram is a highlight reel, almost. You're seeing all the stuff that they want to put out, but behind it all, you don't know. You don't know what their goals are. You don't know what the priorities are. You don't know whether they've achieved a big goal and that dinner they're going out on is a celebratory dinner. You don't know those things. And it's important to, whilst people do draw inspiration from Instagram and, you know, I'd love to do that and take that as a mental note of something they want to do. It's very important to stay focused on what you want to achieve and what your goals are and not be enticed or um, influenced by, and that's why they call it influencers, right? Um, Mm. Influenced (laughs) by what you're seeing on social media. Exactly. And, um, you know, I also wanted to say, so like on uh, Netflix, there's the series from Mary Kondo. I don't know if, if you've seen it, but she's the, one, seen it yet. The, the Japanese lady that talks about um, how you can organize, uh, I guess, yeah, your, your home mm-hmm. and, um, you know, to really clean up, like whether it's your clothing to uh, like all the different parts of your house, like your living room and kitchen and to just declutter. And after seeing a couple episodes, it inspired my husband and I to like organize our wardrobe. And <laughs> um, and uh, I wanted to say like in our society, like it's obviously like major companies, they're, you know, they're advertising it, having instant gratification and like, uh-huh. oh, you need the latest shoes yeah. and the latest outfit and there's celebrity endorsements and whatnot. And um, one of the cool exercises that Mary Kondo does is that she'll get um, the, you know, the guests on the show to take out all their clothes from like all, from their closets mm-hmm. and like drawers and lay it all out like in one area and like some of the, like, you know, they're her clients will have like piles mountains. and piles and piles. Yeah. <laughs> mountains of clothes uh, and shoes. And like, cause I, I know people who are like shoe fanatics and like mm-hmm. they'll line up. I know hours, a few like, myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like when they went through that exercise to like compile all their clothes in like one spot, like say the living room, they were like, wow, like I didn't realize I had so many clothes. Mm. And then you realize like, oh my God, like this is where all my money's going. And they had to like look at each piece and to see like, does this spark joy? And by asking themselves that question, it determined whether they wanted to hold on to the item or to let it go. Mm And I think that's like something that's, uh, you know, it's a great exercise for for all of us to do, uh, especially when we're in that day and age where materialism and online shopping is so easy yeah. to just keep buying and buying and and uh, yeah. Yeah, let me ask you this, Sandy, because for me, I I came to a point where I had an epiphany, and that epiphany drove the change in my mindset, my behaviors, and then my habits. I had it quite late. I had it maybe five, six years ago. And it stemmed from a conversation I had with a colleague when I was working in Canary Wharf. And the conversation just, it highlighted that there was a stark disparity between what I was doing and what he was doing. And at the time I thought I was the man. And I was just like, what on earth is going on? Have you had an epiphany? At what point did you have it? 
Oh, I, I don't know. Okay. Well, obviously like, you know, from the beginning when, when I lost money in mutual funds, like that was a pretty big epiphany uh-huh. and that was kind of the turning point. But also like there was, you know, some other events that kind of shaped the way that I made decisions. And I would say even before that, there were a couple, probably a couple of moments, like uh, right when I was graduating during 2008, 2009, like my, my father had helped to put together a, you know, a small investment portfolio. And, and even then um, seeing my portfolio losing significant amount of money, like that was scary, but at least my dad kind of knew like, Hey, don't worry, you will bounce back. Like don't touch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of learning from that experience was helpful. And I would say that um, a, a good university friend of mine had recommended me to read one of the classic personal finance books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, mm-hmm. yeah, great which book. I feel like yeah. a lot of people have read that like as their first yeah. book. And and that's what really changed my mindset as well and got me uh, hooked on to learning more about personal finance. Um, would yeah. you say that you got a little bit of financial education at home as well as school or one of the two? Yeah. So I did go to business school and I like to say that they teach more corporate finance and corporate accounting (laughs) Um, and not so much about personal finance. And uh, I mean, that's just how the education system is. I know they're kind of slowly, gradually making those changes, at least Mm -hmm. here in Canada, Uh, but there's definitely so much work to be done. And um, that's why I think like the responsibility, at least now is for individuals to be able to take that initiative and do the research and be educated to, you know, read blogs, listen to podcasts and books. Uh, So then that way they know like what to do or make informed decisions rather than kind of blindly going in and just kind of hoping for the best or like taking an investment tip for like one of their friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely agree with you on that. I mean, I think people are definitely seeking out the information. I definitely think they are. And it's a, it's almost like a double-edged sword because there's so much available now on social media. You can Google pretty much anything and information comes up. However, you kind of mentioned this at the top of this conversation, that there's so much opinion and misinformation out there that it's so hard to differentiate what is fact, what is real, what is correct from what is completely incorrect, what is just someone's biased opinion for whatever reason, and what is just plain misinformation. I think that's very, very hard. So credible sources, I guess, are are really, really needed now. Really, really needed now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I would say that, you know, if you're scrolling through the news and and reading an article and, um, you know, it might be very compelling, but just, you know, maybe look up the individual and their background, see like what other sources, um, like maybe other media mentions they have or whether they have um, credentials or industry destinations and, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's good to kind of look at both sides of the coin. Um, there, I wouldn't say that there's like a right and wrong when it comes to investing, but there definitely are different schools of thought. And I, I, I respect um, that. And I understand that people have different investment philosophies, uh, but then there's also different types of like risks and outcomes. And so, Absolutely. yeah, it's kind of knowing like what you're getting yourself into and and knowing like the 
both the upside and the downsides. And I think as well, if you are going to sort of invest and do it on your own, you also need to be able to develop your own investment philosophy because it's one thing to read the Financial Times and get information and think, well, I'm just going to do this. The ability to digest it, internalize it, interpret it, and then use it to take take action in opposed to just read an article, top five picks, and, well, I'm just going to buy those because that guy said it on, <laughs> on the Financial Times. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's something that was really important to me, like to cover in my book. Uh, Cause you know, the first couple of chapters, I really go through the basics and the foundations. I think everyone should know. And then in the later half of my book, I go more into detail about the three pillars that we had talked about and to kind of give people an overview of how um, they're able to build wealth through different ways and to hopefully inspire them to think about like what they can do and what they can achieve. Yeah. So in, in closing this, I really I want to ask you this question. If you could go back 10 years or so, what piece of information would you give younger you looking at the world of investing? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that, um, I would say that to probably not let my emotions get a hold of me, which mm-hmm. is so common. I mean, even today, like these days, like I'm st- still constantly practicing because human behavior, like we're just not really, I guess, like in, how do you say it? I guess like human behavior and psychology uh, can mess up your investment strategy and your oh, plans. Absolutely. So Once the loss aversion yeah. kicks in, it's like <laughs> fight or flight, get me out of here. Yeah. Yeah. So it's important to be logical and not emotional mm-hmm. when it comes to investing. And uh, and I would say that um, also to have a plan, like we've said, um, you know, time and time again, to have a plan and to stick to it um, and not kind of veer off or like, you know, go off the path because, um I mean, you can always make adjustments to your plan. Um, that's, you know, that's fair. But just kind of know what what your why is and like why you're investing and and not get so sucked up in or, you know, so engrossed into the daily news and the mm-hmm. media. And uh, because, you know, it, the news and the media, they're supposed to kind of have a attention grabbing headlines yeah, sure. and to create fear mm-hmm. um, or to kind of really uh, exaggerate some of the things that are going on in the market. But it's important to kind of stay level headed and 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 kind of be in it for that long term uh, long term game. You know what's been amazing about what you just said there is about that these are all the things that financial advisors will tell their clients. <laughs> amazing. And, and you have just, you've learned that through experience, I guess. And that's a beautiful thing because, you know, this knowledge and the experience, yes, financial advisors do play a, a part. They can add value. But I think the point is that if you are of the mindset that you really want to, you know, learn these things, the knowledge is out there and actually it's fairly easy to apply if you understand it and you know exactly what to do. Yeah. And it definitely, you know, takes quite a bit of discipline, but I mean, you know, if you, if you have that drive and um, motivation to learn, like it's, yeah, it's all out there. Um, 
but then also like, I understand that like I have friends and, and uh, peers who like, they just don't really have that passion to learn. And so mm-hmm. um, that's definitely where a financial advisor can help them out and can guide them and, and to give them advice they need um, when they don't necessarily, like, you know, they don't necessarily want to take the time to, to learn. So yeah. um, there, there definitely is a need for financial advisors to make sure that they are on the right track and to, to give them the proper guidance. Yeah. So your book, I know that you have got something going on with the book at the moment where for every copy that is bought, you're donating some money to charity. Tell me a bit more about that. Yes. Um, so I am so proud to be partnering with CAMH. Uh, it's called the Center of Addiction for Mental Health. It's a huge organization here in Canada and they spearhead mental health research and they help families who have been impacted by um, you know, different types of mental health illnesses. And so uh, this is something that really touches my heart because I had experienced um, uh, a loved one who you know, had to go through the daily challenges of uh, a mental health illness. And so I want to be able to give back to charity and uh, just be able to have that those open conversations mm. about money and mental health because it does have an impact on our daily lives and and um, you know there's there's there needs to be more conversation and and dialogue about this because uh, I'd like to be able to um, to be able to break those barriers and not have it to be a taboo where people can feel comfortable and confident opening up about um, money and mental health. So where can the listeners get hold of your book if they wanted to get your book? Sure. Yep. So um, your listeners can find me at sandyyoung.com. That's spelled S-A-N-D-Y-Y-O-N-G.com. My book is available uh, for purchase on my website, uh, or you can find my ebook on Amazon as well uh, through uh, Kindle. Perfect. Excellent. And what about your social media contacts if they wanted to uh, connect with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can also find me on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at uh, The Money Master Book. Or if you'd like to uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, you can find me at Sandy Young. Excellent. That's great. Thank you for spending some time with me, Sandy. I really do appreciate it. Um, it's definitely nice to hear different points of views and perspective when you talk about personal finance and investing. Um, that's These are topics that I, I love to talk about. So having someone who speaks my language Mm-hmm. Um, is fantastic. So thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Peter, for having me. Excellent. So guys, that's another episode of the podcast. Um, there's a lot of insight there. If you're if you're the kind of person that wants to get invested in the market, but you want to do it yourself, you want to you know learn this knowledge and apply it, that's the example of someone who's been able to do it themselves. And it is possible. You can do it. But I think it's very, very clear that there are some fundamental things that need to be put in place, your stepping stones. And it all begins with making sure that you have a handle on your, on your personal finances. As boring as that might sound, it is crucial. You cannot run if you can't crawl, if you can't walk. So these are basics that need to be put in place. And these are the kind of things that I talk about all of the time on IG, across all of my social media. And I hope that it's resonated with you coming from Sandy today. As always on the podcast, the information, the conversations we have here are all for educational purposes. We talked a lot about the stock markets. Please don't take any of this 
as personal advice, but certainly something that you can use to form your own opinion and do some further research yourselves. As always, if you do have any questions, you know where I am, you can uh, leave me a message on IG. I make sure that I return every single one of the messages that I get. So they're increasing by the day, but I still do it because I love it. Um, but guys, until next week, have a great week. Catch you next Monday.